Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 5:21 to 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as church, as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Welcome to part five. Is that right? We are in part five, right? <laughs> part five of our series is the second message that we have that's explicit to marriage, and um, it's a big one. Um, it's an important one because it's one that I see, I want to just say this, I see most couples, almost every couple that I know breaks this principle. Um, and they don't know it, but they're causing grief into their marriage. And they don't know it, but they're harming their children. That's the intro. Um, Today I want to talk about the priority of marriage. And again, I want to say this. If you're not married, if you're a single person here today, some of you are like, this is, is this relevant? It is absolutely relevant to you. One day you will be married, and you need to understand that this is the kind of relationship you should be preparing your life for if you plan to be married one day. And, of course, if you don't get married... Um, you have many, many friends, and I just told you, <laughs> the vast majority of them break this principle. And if you will be a very good friend to all your married friends, even though you are single, if you can gently let them know, I, I learned something important from God's word, and I see some issues, guys, and it's because I love you. I hope you don't mind if I bring up a few points that I learned. And so um, today I want to talk about the priority of marriage and I'm going to, and today I only have two parts. How, how's that? <laughs> wow. Isn't that incredible? All right. Um, two parts. Um, God's design and vision for the priority of marriage. That's part one. And then part two, I'm going to give you a, a story of repentance and renewal. All right. That's it. Just two parts. But of course, you know, part one's going to be long, right? Um, but, um, it is. Uh, I, all, all week long, I have been thinking about how I can teach you this very important thing and um, about how marriage has to have priority in your life and how, how this has profound implications for how family, 
how, how the, the health of the family, and actually the identity formation. I mean, how children grow up in marriage and then how they become strong adults and strong human beings from the inside. Because if you're not strong inside, you're not strong. It doesn't matter how strong you are like here. There's lots of people who have serious muscles up here, but they're total wimps and cowardly inside here, and then they just crumble when it matters. Right? But if you're strong inside here, even though your body is falling apart, that's, a, you know, that's why we love those stories of those people. They get cancer, and their body is just completely falling apart. But when you look inside them, you meet some of the most profound and powerful human beings. Those are the people we admire, right? Now, today I'm going to teach you something that is, will do this in your marriage, and that will help your children become this type of people. Um, as they grow older and older. and So that's what we're going to talk about, the priority of marriage. Now, um, how I'm going to do this all week long, there, there's so much to, to talk about and teach. And so um, the reason I only brought two parts, and I decided to, the way I'm going to do this, I, I learned this. I don't know anybody who says this better than Pastor Timothy Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian Church. I learned this from him, his marriage series. And I, I learned this in a very, um, actually very powerful way. And, um, but I thought, there's no better way to do this than to just let him tell you. So I'm, it's, I feel almost kind of like embarrassed because usually I have to prepare what I'm going to say to you, but I'm just going to just, just um, you know, do you remember when you were in third grade and your teacher said, we're going to have a story today. <laughs> and your teacher would open up a book and everybody would put their heads down like this, you know, would put their heads down and I, you, you, you shouldn't put your head down. Okay. But um, I'm going to read. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. As your teacher, I'm going to read, um, and I'm going to read um, several pages from this um, wonderful book called The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller, written with his wife, Kathy Keller. Um, she's wonderful, too. She, she, I mean, talk about a woman who has, um, has wisdom when it comes to marriage. And um, because they have they've really plumbed the Bible, and they understand how at the center of marriage is the gospel. And I'm going to read so you can learn about this. And uh, just to, before I get into this, where does it say in the Bible that marriage has this incredible priority? So just to, to um, just put the thesis before you. When it comes to all human, the, the number one relationship here in life is to God. Okay? That's just always true. And so if that's not clear to you, let me just put that out there. And if you're hating God, running away from God, you don't believe in God, you're ignoring God, you have a very, very serious problem at the center of your life, okay? And so, um, and then of course, even as a Christian, we, you know, we have times when we run away from him, we're angry at him, we're disappointed in him, etc. But after God, the most important relationship in your life is to your husband or to your wife, to your spouse. That can never, you can, that always cannot leave your mind, that has to shape your life. And where does it say that in the Bible? Where it says that is, is in this passage that um, Paul quotes, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two of them will become one flesh. That's a quote of Genesis chapter 2.25. Jesus quotes that as well. He says, this is the, Jesus himself says, this is marriage. This is God's will, God's design. And when it says that he shall leave his father and mother, up to this point in his life, and Keller says this too, so I'm just, I just want to unpack this so it's very clear. Right? You've always, everything in your life, you felt this, um, 
your parents have set the parameters of your life. And you owe an obedience to them. You owe, um, you owe them everything, actually. At least up to the age of 12. That's the case, okay? And then we start thinking, like, come on, mom and dad, you know, like, you're not as cool as, as the latest pop star, et cetera, which is crazy, but that's how we think, okay? Um, and then, of course, as we know, as we get into our teenage years, we start to, start to shape our own, you know, we start to figure out who we're going to be as adults. Um, but this thing, this a man shall leave his father and mother, that's the priority. And just because it's one seemingly easy, simple verse doesn't mean there isn't just levels and levels and layers and layers of wisdom and implication, and that's what we're going to talk about. And as I said, nobody says it better than good old Tim, right? Dr. Timothy Keller. And um, so, so children in third grade today. <laughs> okay, we're a little obviously beyond third grade. Uh, we're in much more advanced things than school of life. Um, let me read this to you from... Um, Great wisdom from the school of life. In Ephesians 5, Paul quotes Genesis 2.24, namely that when a man marries, he leaves his father and mother, and then he is united to his wife. Western people are not shocked when they read this command, but we should be. We're all Western. You know, for, for America, from Europe, we're of the West. Right? Think of the historical and social context of this statement. So this is said in a very traditional, highly tribal, duty-oriented society, which is, by the way, the vast majority of cultures in the world, just not ours, okay? Pleasing your parents, being faithful to the wishes of your parents was all important. In more traditional cultures, even today, parents and grandparents are given Tremendous authority. Now, most of the people in this room are Asian, and you, you, you don't need to be told this. You can feel this. All right? um, in America, we need to tell people this. Okay? But uh, in, in, in Asian society, this is just like the air we breathe. Hmm. Um, children are expected to heed their parents' wishes above all other requests. You hear that? Above your teacher above your coach, above your boss, and definitely above the pastor, <laughs> all right? That's the expectation. And that's where this is an absolutely explosively unbelievable verse right out of the Bible. If you ever doubt that the Bible is not the word of man, it's because there's a verse like this, and it's right there in Genesis. It's really ancient, but it's unbelievably contemporary, and always relevant. Right? So I know I'm reading, but I, you know, I've got to give you my little side comments here, okay? Um, by the time you are a young adult, you should be willing to admit that the single relationship that has shaped who you are, for better or for worse, is your relationship to your mom and dad. You wouldn't be alive without them, and all but a few parents have made enormous sacrifices for the well-being of their children. My parents certainly have. I certainly hope that most of your parents have. Even if you're just an average mom and dad. We're not even talking about an A mom and dad. We're just talking like you're C minus mom and dad. <laughs> there are F parents. But probably most of you probably have somewhere between a B or a C or a D parents. Okay, And even the C minus parent has made tremendous sacrifice for you. <laughs> they really have. 
And yet right in the midst of, of these patriarchal cultures and in the face of these realities, God says, I didn't put a parent and child in the garden. I put a husband and a wife. Those are the first two people. And the first human relationship that God created was this. This is the foundational relationship for all of human life. So I've said this in other ways. Um, the fact that our culture takes us in a very just cavalier fashion, the way that we think that human beings can just shape it however we want, and the fact that we think that we can just do with it, however, um, that approach it from our perspective, our wisdom, what makes sense to us, it's a really, really serious problem. Um, maybe we don't quite feel it today, but I, I, let me just make a quick prediction here, right? In 10 years from now, we will feel it more. In 20 years from now, we'll feel it more. Maybe in 30 years from now, our culture will so seriously implode, they'll start thinking, they'll start looking at the Bible again. <laughs> I, that's what I think is going to happen. So if you're taking this seriously, you're on the front end of the curve because God is always ahead of the curve, always. <laughs> All right. I didn't put a parent and a child in the garden. I put a husband and a wife. When you marry your spouse, that must supersede all other relationships, even the parental relationship. Your spouse and your marriage must be the number one priority in your life. Okay? Apart from Jesus Christ and his lordship, who you marry, that person's got to be at the very, very top. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Your marriage must be more important to you than anything else. No other human being should get more of your love, your energy, industry, and commitment than your spouse. Let me say that again. <laughs> I underline this. <laughs> Got to put little marks. No other human being should get more of your love, energy, industry, and commitment than your spouse. God asks that a man leave his father and mother as powerful as that relationship may have been, to forge a new union that must be even more important and powerful force in his life. Then he has the next portion. This is the next point. Now, for the next point, if you do not do this, you are married. So let's say you're married. And you do not um, make your husband or your wife the top human relational priority in your life. If you don't do this, then you're doing something else. You're doing what um, Tim Keller calls a pseudo-spouse. That is, you're putting a substitute husband or wife into your life because only one person has the power to have that place in your heart. So if, you don't, if you're not putting that person to have that place in your life, you're going to put someone else. You will do this. It's not a question of if. You will do this. Someone else will be your replacement, pseudo, your phony spouse, and that person can't bear that res responsibility. So this is where he goes, pseudo spouses. Here we go. When I was a young pastor in a small southern town, I did a lot of marriage counseling. Some marriages were harmed by things like drink, drugs, pornography, or an extramarital affair. Obviously, those are really bad things to marriage. But listen to this. But in most of the troubled marriages I saw, the problems stem not from bad things, but from good things that had become too important. 
Say that again. Not from bad things, but something that's good in your life that had become more important than your spouse. When some good things becomes more engrossing, important than your spouse, it can destroy the marriage. Keller's not a guy who goes off and says like big like words like that. He doesn't try to scare people, but he's not afraid to tell the way it is. You know, I, I'm not afraid to scare you. Keller's really nice. He's really gentle. <laughs> okay, he, he, I've listened to a lot of his sermons. He's really nice. Really, I'm, I'm, I'm not so nice. I'm not so gentle. I'll just kind of like shoot you right between the, the eyes. Okay, but. Um, So I'm just telling that to you, that when a really gentle, kind man like Keller tell you, this can destroy your marriage, he's he's not messing around. There are many varieties of this kind of problem. He said, you know, what's good is being more important. Good thing. Sometimes I heard a wife say, his parents' opinions are more important to him than mine. Pleasing them is far more important to him than pleasing me. Or I would hear husbands say she's totally wrapped up in the kids and their needs, their programs, their school, their social life. If I need something, she shrugs and says, okay, but it's the kids and their needs that really excite her. Being a mother is much more enjoyable to her than being a wife. I could also hear either husband or wife say about the other, his or her career is what's really important. The career is the real spouse. <laughs> Do you hear that? Isn't that weird? The career is the real spouse. The career gets all the ingenuity and the time and the energy. If your spouse does not feel that you are putting him or her first, then by definition, you aren't. <laughs> okay, uh, let me say that again. Let me just ask you, if you were to just talk to your husband or your wife, and they would honestly say, you ask them, so honey, I hope you call your wife honey or dear or something, okay? You should say things like that, okay? Honey, <laughs> um, am I really, you know, do, do you think I'd make you the number one priority? And if you're afraid to hear the answer to that, you already know. <laughs> you're screwing up. And if they, if they go, I don't feel that you are, you can't argue with them. <laughs> you can't argue with them. His point is this. If they feel that you aren't, you aren't. <laughs> That's just how it is. <laughs> That's, I, I know that sounds really weird. I know, come on, there, there are just some really whacked, crazy people out there, and you know, they live in some really delusional world, and they're just like super-duper needy and just sucking the life out of other people. All right, But that's some really small percentage, and assuming that's not your spouse, which let me just say to you, I've never, I haven't met anybody like that in this church. So if you think you're like that, your spouse is like that, you're wrong. Okay, I mean, according to my opinion. There's nobody like that in this church that I've yet met. Okay? There are a few people like that, and they're kind of scary, of course, right? But there's nobody like that in this church. So don't think your 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 wife or your husband is like that. When they demand more from you, they have every right to. <laughs> every right to. Plenty of people have marital problems because they haven't left to be united to their spouses. You have failed to leave your parents if you are more driven by their wishes and expectations than by your spouses. So just just hit it. These are the three biggies. Mom and dad, your own kids, and work. Almost every couple I know does one of those three. (laughs) The wife does the kids, the husband does the work, and sometimes the husband and the wife do the mom and dad. (laughs) The husband is like connected to the mom and dad, and the wife is connected to her mom and dad. And let's unpack it. 
And so Keller sees all the different angles. Um, you can also fail to leave your sources. You, many have failed to leave their mothers and fathers because you're driven more by their wishes and expectations by your, than by your spouse. But you can also fail to leave your parents if you resent your parents or you hate them too much. Isn't that weird? I thought I'd long since left my mom and dad because I just can't stand my dad. So I just left them. But he says, if you hate your dad too much, you still haven't left. For example, you may say, I won't bring my kids to church because my parents did that and I hated it. <laughs> so you resented something about your parents. But this means you're being controlled by your parents. You aren't making the choice based on what your children need, but simply because you want to reject mom and dad. See? That's a leaving issue. They still own you. Or you might say, I can't marry that guy. So this is for you single people. I can't marry that guy. He reminds me of my father. So what if a man resembles your father? You should be judging him on what he is in his completion, not just because he has a certain look, but how in, in, the, in his total person and how he relates to you. That's how you should judge him. Don't let your bad relationship with your father control how you relate to your partner. You must leave that behind. That's one way. Some spouses have constant arguments over a variety of practical issues. Does that, is that you? Um, you have some practical issue, and then you're fighting about it. That's like 100% of every marriage that I know. Right. Some of these decisions are how, to, how are the vacations? How do we plan our vacations? Or how do we discipline our children? Look carefully to see whether you are insisting that you do things exactly the way your parents did them. Maybe your family's way of operating was wise in one regard, but you should only carry it into your new family if it makes sense to your spouse too. You see what I'm saying? He's saying maybe your mom and dad, did, you know, they did a great way of doing vacations, but that's not the way your husband did it. You can't just insist and unilaterally just, boom, just impose that on your husband unless he unless you can persuade him, unless you can get him to see it too. That's not an easy thing. Right at the beginning of marriages, there's like a, a power push and pull. And at the, in the first few years of marriage, it's like, how are we going to discipline the kids? What kind of school? What kind of house are we going to get? What kind of car are we going to buy? What kind of vacations are we going to do? How are we going to structure our time? What TV shows are we going to watch? Are we going to watch TV at all? All those things right there is like a potential conflict of the mommy and daddy. Well, in our family, we always did it this way. <laughs> No, you got to leave that behind. Maybe it was good, but you can have it again, and it can only be a part of the new one flesh of marriage if your husband or wife agrees. Then you do it. Then it becomes a new beautiful thing. Other than that, it's sin. It's sin. You shouldn't do it simply because my family did it that way. When you marry, you commit to becoming a new decision-making unit. 
and to developing new patterns and ways of doing things. If you rigidly impose the patterns you saw in your own family, rather than working together with your spouse to create new ones, new customs, new habits, new traditions, new laughter, new little like quirks, not your mom and dad's quirks that you got from them, your own. That's what needs to happen. Together with your spouse, then you haven't left your mom and dad yet. The priority is wrong. Other commitments to parents is one problem that sinks many managers. But arguably, and listen, to, here's the next one. Overcommitment to children is even more of a problem. I underline that, <laughs> and then I put yes <laughs> right next to it. This is the number one thing I see parents in um, Silicon Valley doing. That's breaking their marriage. They overcommit to their kids. So, I mean, come on, the kids are so needy. There's, you have so many good things you want to give to them. Every kind of possible lesson. It's just important that your child just speaks a foreign language and, is, and, and, and can become a black belt in jujitsu and then throw a fastball perfectly, right? That's just a, just a name. That's the one. That's how we do it. <laughs> okay? Um, I'm not accusing anybody else. You know, that's right here, okay? Overcommitment to the kids. So, you know, my wife and I, we, gosh, we wrestle with this all the time. There are a lot of reasons why you may overcommit to these kids, this temptation. First, your children need you desperately, especially when they're really little, right? <laughs> I mean, when they're babies, it's constant. They're a part of your new family, not your former family. So you're just focused on them. This is your family. Not your mom and dad's family. This is your family. You're thinking about them. So it is right to consider parenting a very high and important calling in your life. And it is. But it's not higher than being a husband or a wife. If a marriage cools, that is, um, that is it's not as warm and as, as, as toasty as it used to be. It is natural to get your primary need for love and affection met through your parent-child relationship rather than your husband-wife relationship. This happens all the time. Daddy just adores his little daughter. But then he just goes through this kind of like cold spell with his wife. And then now this little girl who adores her daddy because he adores her... He thinks, this is where all my deep love is going to happen. You're in a really dangerous place. You're trying to make her a surrogate, pseudo-wife. That's a very dangerous place. If you love your children more than your spouse, the entire family will be pulled out of joint, and everyone will suffer. Everyone. And I do mean everyone. I know of a woman who was giving her life for her daughter, but in such a way that it was creating great stress and strain between her and her husband. The husband resented the time and effort the mother was putting into her daughter's musical career. That's what it was. Apparently, music was the thing. And my daughter's, you know, she's got to play at Carnegie Hall, right? So, 
It was clear to nearly everyone that the mother was fulfilling some of her own unrealized dreams through her daughter. So I guess this mom wanted to go play in Carnegie Hall, and so like her daughter could do it. You're going to do this thing I, could, I was supposed to do, and I just love you so much. <laughs> you know, this happens so, so often. The dad, who's got, his son's got to be a quarterback. Okay. The daughter, who's got to have the career that the mom never really had. <laughs> right? You guys know what this is. The, the, the dad who, you know, his son has got to get, you know, got, got to get into Harvard. That, that thing, because he didn't get into Harvard. That, that happens all the time. And, of course, I love my son so much, so that I'm just going to give you all of this. I'm just going to give you everything of myself. And if mom just has to just take a backseat to this, well, too bad. Huh. It's all the time. So this is how it was happening in her families. In the process, she was killing her marriage. <laughs> the irony was, this was the worst possible thing for her daughter, who was very anxious, had a lot of anxiety huh? about the marriage crumbling. Her daughter was not learning from observation how a good marriage worked. So this is an extra curse. So there's one, her daughter's like super nervous because mom and dad's marriage is in trouble. Mom and dad, let me say this to you. If you have a bad marriage, you will create anxiety in your children. Heck, if you have a good marriage, and then one day you just have a big fight, you create a lot of fear and stress your kids right there, probably for at least a week. And maybe they'll have that fear and their stress for years. I remember my parents' fights. I remember their fights when they were seven, when they were nine, when they were 16. There was a fight that my mom and dad had when I was in college. I wasn't even there. You know how I know about it? My brother told me about it. My brother told me about it. The guy couldn't eat for a week. And I bet you today, we're in our 40s. Hey, I can go talk to my brother. You know, he just recently had a birthday. We can have a beer while we're, you know, like putting our popcorn. Hey, do you remember that fight that mom and dad had when I was away at college? He'll probably go, oh, yeah, of course. These are the memories you want to give your kids? That's one curse. But here's a second curse. It's just this one's even worse. Your kids will grow up, and they need to know what a good marriage is like. You know the number one way they know what a good marriage is like? By watching you. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the most fundamental piece of learning. And they will observe you. This is how kids learn most things in life, just watching you. <laughs> they just watch you. Your kids, you are the number one example of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, how to be a human being, how to be an adult, how to handle money, whether God matters. I know it's really serious responsibility, isn't it? But actually, how you handle marriage is huge. It's huge. And if you handle marriage very, very poorly, when your kids grow up, they will lack the resources and the wisdom. Wow. I just probably scared the heck out of all you guys. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but um, it needed to be said, okay? <laughs> a breakthrough came to, in this story, all right? When a counselor, so it's a good thing they went to marital counseling. You know, Pastor Young and I, we are big on marital counseling. 
And let, let me just make a little plug for marital counseling. If you don't think you need marital counseling, just do it anyway. <laughs> just do it anyway. <laughs> just do it anyway because it's unbelievable what it's like when a third person's there and your spouse is absolutely safe to say whatever they want and you got to listen. <laughs> you can't argue, you just got to listen. That is like an incredible experience. Just do it. And you'll find out things in your marriage you didn't know about. <laughs> So even though you don't think you need it, just try it. And I'll just say, so you, and you don't even need like some super professional. You can get like a, you know, like a beginning like therapist, right? They're, they're, they're probably good enough to do this, unless they're just are terrible. But probably just your average, just your learning therapist is probably good enough, right? And if they're really terrible, just switch, okay? Just go to another person. If the first person, you know, this person's horrid. Let's just move to the next person. Just switch, right? A breakthrough came when the counselor said to her, the best way for you to be a great mother to your daughter is by being a great wife to your husband. Must have been a biblical counselor. That is the main thing your daughter needs from you. And praise God that the Holy Spirit helped her to hear it. I know lots of moms and dads. They, if a, somebody, the pastor said it, <laughs> the counselor said it, they just like just tune it out. <laughs> Praise God, the Holy Spirit, that she listened. When she began to see this, she began to give her marriage the priority it should have. And here's this. Research on child abuse has revealed that many of the people who physically abuse their children don't do so because they hate their children. Hear that? Often it's because their children are the ones to whom they rely on for most of their love. And if their children don't love them back by behaving properly, their anger explodes. See, you got to be loved back by somebody. This is why we get really mad at our spouse, because they don't love us the way we, we feel like we need. So then we get mad at them, and then the marriage is cold. But if you stick this on your child, you're in big trouble. Sometimes you get really, really angry at your child. All, every mom and dad in here, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, but... You all know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> you get this anger inside for your child that's like, oh my gosh, this is not good. Well, it might be coming from something like this. Then the parent snaps, but children are children. They shouldn't be expected to give you the friendship and love that a spouse can. Okay, I'm getting toward the end here, okay? One more. <laughs> Marriage is so much like salvation and our relationship with Christ, that Paul says you can't understand marriage without looking at the gospel. So let's do that. Salvation is a fresh start. That's what it is. We're mired in sin and death and guilt and shame. That's life before Jesus Christ. <laughs> but you get Jesus and you get a fresh start. That's kind of what marriage is supposed to offer you. A new start. Old things have passed away. The behold, the new has come. That's the way the Bible puts it. And when the gospel and through the gospel we enter into a marriage-like relationship with Jesus, our divine spouse. That means giving Christ the supremacy in your life. In other words, Jesus asked for nothing that any spouse doesn't ask for. Put me first, he says. And let me tell you, God is a jealous. Husband. <laughs> Have no other pseudo gods before me. 
It is the same with marriage. Marriage won't work unless you put your marriage and your spouse first. And you don't turn to good things like parents, children, career, or even your hobbies as your pseudo-spouse. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, 25, 28. So this is our passage. He says that a husband ought to love his wife as he does his own body. Paul is referring to the fact that your health is foundational to everything else that you do, isn't it? So just try eating Doritos every day for breakfast. I'm just going to eat Doritos, and then I'm going to go off to work. So here's how he puts it. What if you decide that making a lot of money will make you happy? So you put your work ahead of your health. You work enormously long hours so that you, got, you get no exercise or sleep. That, that one made me feel guilty, right? You eat very poorly. If, if I was single, I, I would probably be dead by now. But thankfully, I, I, uh, my wife makes sure I eat. I don't eat poorly, right? And you put yourself under a lot of stress. Yes, you are making a lot of money, but the heart attack you bring on will make it impossible for you to enjoy your money. Silicon Valley. <laughs> In other words, if you think you can put your happiness ahead of your health, you won't be happy at all. Good health, then, is more fundamental to happiness than great wealth, as most rich people will tell you when their health is broken down. So Paul likens marriage to the health of your body. As we have said, it must be the most fundamental human relationship in your life. So when you marry, you've gotten into something that was invented by God. And he says it's like, you know, you taking care of your body. And if you determine to ruin your marriage this way, you're in for a lot of trouble. Because marriage is like God's, is marriage is God's institution. He built it to be the primary institution, relationship in your life. If you think that marriage is going to be a sidebar to a great career, or that is going to come second or third in your life, that and that your spouse is just better get used to it, watch out. Marriage isn't built that way. Once you're married, your marriage has to take priority. Now, one more paragraph, and then I'll go to the close of my message. The reason it must have priority is because of the power of marriage. Marriage has the power to set the course of your life as a whole. I heard Tim Keller say this, and I've listened to this sermon many, many times. This sentence has stuck in my mind, and I hope it will stick in yours. Here's what he says. If your marriage is strong, even if all the circumstances in your life around you are filled with trouble and weakness, it won't matter. You will be able to move out into the world in strength. Isn't that crazy? If your marriage is strong, you can have serious debt. One of you can be really sick. And your career can be in trouble. But you will go out into the world in strength. However, if your marriage is weak, even if all the circumstances in your life around you are marked by success and strength, it doesn't matter. You will move out into the world in weakness. Marriage has that kind of power, the power to set the course of your whole life. It has that power because it was instituted by God and because it has that unequaled power, it must have an unequaled supreme authority. Part one of my message. Now, some of you are wondering, oh my goodness, we're in big trouble. Uh, we don't know how to do this. In fact, 
Uh, we have been breaking this, and I don't even know if I know how to do this. I'm so captured by career or children or my mom and dad that I don't know how to do this. And um, I want to tell you a story. The first thing I want to say to you is it's never too late to repent. Never. You've been married 10 years or 20 years, your marriage can still have the power, because that's how powerful it is. If you do it God's way and you repent, that's what repenting is. It's like seeing that we've been living my life my way and then now saying, I want to change to live it his way. It's never too late. And I say this to you because um, not as a pastor who knows the Bible, I say this to you as a sinner who knows this sin. Here's a story. Um, I've, I've told variations of this before. In the seventh year of our marriage, we were in big trouble. And why were we in big trouble? Because of this. Because of this problem. Here's what it was like. Um, in the seventh year of our marriage, Grace and I, um, on the outside, we looked like a happy couple. I mean, heck, I'm a pastor. Um, and I was in, I think, the second or third year of my PhD program in systematic theology. So I was doing the thing I'm good at. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an egghead. I'm good at this thing, and I'm going to find my career in this thing. And I was serving as a part-time pastor at a church, not a whole lot different from this church. And I, my response really was, weren't, weren't that heavy. And, um, and I spent a lot of time at home. I was at home. I'm at home. I'm studying either at home. I'm changing diapers. You know, I'm laughing at the kids, trying to be a good dad. I think I'm being a good dad. Right? And so I would say, I'm around all the time. I'm helping you. And here's what Grace said to me. She says, you're around, but you're not really here. That's what she said. You're around, but you're not really here. And, and I never really heard that before. <laughs> I realized she's right. I'm always reading some heavy-duty theology book, and I'm always, my mind is constantly on this thing in my doctoral program because this is the thing I'm good at, and this is how my career is going to take off, and I'm going to become the stud that I know I'm going to be. <laughs> or I was always like fixated on some problem at church, some person at church, or some issue to help the church grow. So in other words, I may have been at home, and if I wasn't doing that, I was watching ESPN, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and researching my fantasy baseball. And then I would, I would uh, sing to my kids, because I, I think I was a fairly good dad. I would sing to my kids. I would change their diaper. I would laugh with them. Occasionally, I'd Hudson, you know, I'd, I would test Hudson's rear end, okay? He was three years old. But for seven years, I didn't get this. And it was about a week or two before we were going to go into marital counseling. And I figured before going to marital counseling, I would arm myself and know about marriage. So that, I, you know, I'm like, this marital counselor isn't going to be smarter than me. I'm going to listen to Tim Keller's marriage sermon series, and I'm going to refresh my mind, and I will know more about marriage than this guy. That's really, actually, I was thinking something like that. Isn't that stupid? It's really stupid. And so I popped in. The, the Keller marriage sermons while I was driving back and forth to church and to school. 
and this priority sermon came on. And all these things that I just read to you came out. And I listened to this, and, and, and the Holy Spirit washed over me. And I, this is where I said, oh, my gosh. This is the problem. This is the problem. We go and listen to marriage sermons, and we hear these things, and we always think that if, if only my wife were to do this. <laughs> but actually, I think for the first time in seven years, I actually seriously thought, I'm the one breaking the marriage. It's my fault. And um, I don't even know how to do it. I didn't even know how. I didn't even know how to not be driven by this. <laughs> and um, I, and for the next several years, my wife had to forgive me a lot because I would still fall down on this kind of thing. But I would say, in a car, in my green Subaru Outback, <laughs> with Tim Keller on the tape, is when God started to change our marriage. And I came in with just a little bit, not a lot, a little bit of humility into the marital counseling. And then God really started to change us. And so I, I know that I told you that we have a good marriage. It wasn't always that way. It's never too late. Jesus forgives. Jesus washes. Jesus will never give up on his spouse. And if you will trust in marriage like the way he is married to us, you will see his power. You will feel his grace. Your marriage will change and can move towards singing. I promise you. God promises you. Let's pray. This is really hard, Father. We're such a profoundly distracted people. Our ears are so stuffed up that we can go seven years and not hear. <laughs> At least I can. And we just are so consumed by how we think, I know what I need. I know what she needs. I know, I know, I know. But we don't. And we need to learn to be still and listen first to you and then listen to our husband and our wife. And, and then bless our kids instead of sinning against our kids. I'm so thankful, Father, that you, you stopped me from sinning against Hudson and Laura when they were young. <laughs> but I know the kids can be old. I've seen you do this. The kids can be old. And repentance does incredible things to them. <laughs> When we repent of the way we did marriage, adult children can have their hearts freed from fear and anxiety that they've experienced all their life. An incredible thing that you, only you can do these things because you are God. You are Savior. You are Redeemer. You are the great husband who came to save and redeem and love this most terrible, broken bride us so we love you we honor you I pray that throughout this week Lord a lot of questions will arise in a lot of husbands and wives and I pray they'd 
not be afraid to talk about them. I pray they wouldn't be afraid to consider marital counseling. I pray they wouldn't be afraid to believe in you and ask questions toward one another and toward, I don't know, toward us, the pastors, other leaders, and say, I need to learn. We pray that your spirit would make a, a movement of renewal. They will have wonderful marriage starting today. Marriages will move, take their first step towards singing and toward thriving as it is your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Swat to the Lord. <laughs>